We thank you, God, that you are faithful to meet us where we are, that you are with us. We look to you as we explore uh, Romans 12, this thing where we look at what it means to be a living sacrifice. This is our spiritual act of worship. And we pray that you would be with us. You would lead us onward and upward today. You would lead us to your heart, lead us to your throne, and lead us to loving each other better in this space. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, everybody give each other a big wave. (laughs) It's good to see your beautiful faces. Much love, friends. Take it away, Mr. Joel. Yes. Well, wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Good to see every single one of you. And uh, I am excited to jump into our talk this morning in Romans uh, 12. And I'm sitting uh, today and I'm sitting because I am very aware of my own energy and where it's at. And, um, and given this week and, and all the stuff that has happened, um, I've got a little extra something, something going on inside of me, and I want to make sure that I don't put that out on you as much as I can possibly do and really sort of understand that, you know, there's, uh, there's sort of a, a message that needs to be communicated, but also um, I, I'm, I'm aware of the extra snark that's present within me, and I want to avoid that as much as I can. And if it leaks out, I apologize in advance. I'm working really hard right now to not do that um, and to be helpful. Uh, so uh, probably like you, I have started about, I would say, probably 37 posts for, for uh, Facebook and uh, not completed any of them uh, because uh, a lot of that angst or frustration was present. And so um, I wanted to make sure that you know, you just, you sometimes have to get it out and then just get it out, but don't send it. And so this is the issue of understanding that you're an individual. And then there's also this thing called the social, the group, right? And, and we sometimes struggle with understanding the difference between the two and actually owning that we are individuals. We have our thoughts, we have our feelings. We even have our freedoms as individuals. But then there's this all other component, which is the responsibility we have in a relationship with other people. And we do have responsibility. And if we don't, then go live in the woods somewhere by yourself. But as long as you live in society, you have a responsibility, we all do, to how we respond and, and trying to respond as well as we can. Um, it's interesting to me that all of this stuff has let, that's been going on this past week really works well with the particular passage that was already scheduled for us to deal with and that is Romans chapter 12. Last week I'd said, hey, if we can get some families to do this um, thing that we're gonna all uh, sort of, bunch of families do something with kids. And uh, unfortunately I wasn't very clear or concrete enough to make it helpful. And so we're gonna give a retry at some point. Uh, But for today, I wanna address Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite passages uh, is these first few verses. And it's also why I do what I do as an Enneagram coach and and teacher and using that personality system because it is all about this particular big idea there in Romans chapter 12, which has to do with the transformation of our minds. It's the the, the change of the way we think. And 
and so after that, by the way, so Romans 12 has this section that it starts off with, and we're going to look at this in a moment. Uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And then after that, he gets into a list of other things. And many people have looked at the Bible. And so this is a, by the way, to the by the way, many people have looked at the scriptures of the Bible as an index of subjects that we can turn to when we need some data or information or encouragement about any one of these subjects. Okay, so let's, uh, let's see, I need to know about um, authorities and how the Bible views authority. So they look to Romans 13, because that's what it starts off with, governing authorities. And then we think, oh, let's do one on the gifts, the, our abilities, our talents. Okay, so that's back to Romans 12 in that, that uh, section there from verses 3 to 8. But that's actually not how the Bible's written. They didn't think in those ways back 2,000 years ago. If you think about it, nobody had this sort of indexing kind of way of thinking. Right? Uh, it was much more storytelling. It was much more about how am I going to communicate a large message and how do I do it in a way that you can hear it and take it in. And so um, much of the way it's written is by having a series of topics that are within a larger idea, a big idea. And so in Romans 12, you have not the biggest idea, but you do have a big idea, which is how do we transform? We need to transform our minds. Otherwise, we're going to behave in ways that continue the destruction that we see happening today. Are you with me so far? If we don't change, it's going to continue to be the way it is. And it's going to get worse, right? This Romans is, Paul is saying this in Romans 12. And so whatever he's going to say after that has to do with this idea of the transformation of the mind. And so as we go on in the series, next week, I hope I'll remind you that, remember, this is under this sort of a bigger idea of this is about having a transformed mind, the way you think. Because otherwise, you're going to think the way others think and it's going to continue. By the way, he's addressing a group think. This isn't just an individual thing. It's a group think. It's the way we tend to think. Now, plenty of tests have been done, and this is like now pretty empirical, that humans tend to go along and agree with things so that they don't feel like they're on the outside of the social group. This has been tested hundreds of times by different sci by scientists across the country. And this is what politicians study and research and understand. It's, it's how to control masses. It's how to influence masses. Because most people will say, prefer to go along, prefer to go with, with groupthink. Now, some of us are contrarians, and we like to be a little bit against. And it feels good. I'm one of them. Jim's even more that way than I am. So. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we'll be contrarians, right, for a, for a large part. But, but even then, Paul's argument would be, but still, you're part of a larger way of thinking that needs to change. Right? And, um, and so Romans 12, let's take a look at it, actually. I'll share it with you here. So we're just going to look at these first uh, couple verses. 
therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Notice the paradox. Sacrifices were dead things in the ancient world, not living things. So this is a paradox, right? This is a contradiction. This is intentional. This is how ancient people communicated, was through paradox, contradictions, setting things side by side. There's this thing called parallelism uh, as a poetic form. You, you, you parallel things. So either same things together, but said in a different way, or contrasting things said to elicit a third way of seeing and thinking. Right? So therefore, I urge your brothers and sisters in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies a living sacrifice. That should be like a, whoa, what, that, what is going on here? What, is, what has just been said here? That makes no sense at all. Right, now you're on track. <laughs> now we're going to learn something. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let, let's talk about the three sections here, right? We, the first section is living sacrifice. <clears throat> the second one is being transformed by the renewing of your mind, okay? And the third one is then you're capable of seeing, you're capable of understanding, you're capable of testing and approving what God's will is. Right? So the first, so this is, it's remarkable because this ancient wisdom is so true for today. You think about like the first step to transformation is oftentimes surrender, a surrender to <clears throat> to what we've been fighting, uh, what we've been rejecting. And, uh, you know, experts in the field of psychology <clears throat> will talk about the uh, sort of process to um, dealing with grief, right? One of the big movements or growth steps in processing grief is, is finally coming to acceptance. It's where we finally say, okay, I quit fighting the, the reality of this. Many of us are, are, are just in this natural process. There's nothing wrong with that process. But our first reaction to um, a new reality is what? It's resistance. It's denial. Right? Think about what's been going on with COVID-19. It's been the first reaction to that is this is all conspiracy. This is all not true. I mean, we did this with seatbelts. We've done this with We've done this historically over and over again. We, we at first resist science and whatever its discoveries are. We resist change. We resist grief, tragedy, personal loss. We resist it. We resist it. We deny it. We don't want to believe that it's real. But then eventually, we surrender to what is. And, and if you know this pattern and this path, you're more likely to actually do it more quickly than delay the unnecessary suffering. And suffering is pain extended way beyond what it should be. And we all experience pain, but then there's this additional unnecessary suffering that we do to ourselves when we resist and resist and resist. The path, my friends, my brothers and my sisters, the path is for us to make peace, to accept the reality. It's not accepting it as acquiescing to it, like, oh, I give up. 
Okay, so I want to say several things about this. Um, the, this uh, this uh, living sacrifice uh, part of this talk today. So the living sacrifice, first of all, give this surrender, this like I'm, I'm giving up. That's what the, the idea of living sacrifice is, is it's a surrender. It isn't really, as I just said, I just said it's a giving up. It's not a giving up. It's not a giving up like I give up my, I can't, I can't do anything. I just give up, I quit. Um, that's reaction. That's our, oftentimes our reaction. It's either we deny and quit. We get to a place where we just give up. I give up. I need someone else to come in and control my life or tell me what to do. Um, it also isn't um, a sort of, you know, I, I don't like who I am. I don't like what I am. And then we try to sort of uh, fix ourselves. It's not that either. Uh, it's their willingness to go against uh, what preserves our right and wrong thinking, our concepts, our image. It, it's, it's our willingness to, to, to just simply go against that. Because every bit of our resistance around pain, around suffering, around loss, around tragedy, around what's happening right now in our world, everything that we're experiencing, it's causing this reaction that we want to be right in our thinking. We want to be right. We want to be, I know I'm right. I, I, I want to hold on to right, not to truth. We want to be right. There's a difference, big difference. People say, I'm, I just speak the truth. No, you don't. None of us do. None of us do. We speak what we think is right. And sometimes we are, and oftentimes we're not. But we want to be right so badly that sometimes, well, oftentimes, we work hard at trying to prove ourselves to be right. And we want to be on the right side. And, uh, and so we'll fight against that. And surrender, the living sacrifice, is the ability to just say, okay, I'm I give up my, my, my attempt to be right because I, I, want, I want truth. That's what I'm after. We give up our, our, our attempt to hold on to our concepts, the way we think, our big ideas that give us a sense of security. So, well, maybe they're not all true. And maybe they aren't what they promise us, which is security. Maybe there's a better way to security. Or our image, how we appear, the way other people see us. That influences much of the way people behave. You know, we have to be willing to give all of those things up when we're faced, as we are today, with what's happening in our country. The death of this man, the murder of this man, George Floyd, is causing all kinds of reaction within us. And it should. But before we get to this right and wrong thinking, and this is where many of us are, it's all sorts of reactions, right? I've seen it in me. I hope you've seen it in you this week. Because right now, our attempt is going to be to look out, and I'll talk about this next in, in, in the section of being transformed. Our attempt will be to, to look out or to look deep within, and we need to do both. We need to be looking out at our responsibility, at how we've impacted the world, and we need to look within as to what's motivating and driving us so that we can do the act of surrender. Because our call is to be in that place of the living sacrifices. 
again, surrender is not giving up. Surrender is actually never, you never, you're never more alive and never more free than when you surrender. When you give up, you're not. When you try to fix yourself, you're not. When you're trying to preserve yourself, your right and wrong thinking, your concepts, I want my freedom, I want my freedom, I want my freedom, you know, all this stuff about freedom. When people are yelling and shouting for freedom, oftentimes it's because they don't experience true liberty from within. We perceive that the problem with our liberty is everything on the outside of ourselves, and it's not true. You could be given all the freedom in the world and you would still feel trapped. You'd still be looking for something outside of yourself that is the reason why you feel the way you feel. And it's at that point that you have to turn back in and recognize there's a problem within that we're not free inside. This is the reason why you can have no liberty and no freedom from an external standpoint and still feel completely free. And this is the experience of people, and this is, came through Viktor Frankl's um, you know, Man's Search for Meaning uh, in his work and his study of uh, Nazi Germany, uh, concentration camp survivors, and those who died, so many of them had discovered this internal freedom. When no freedom on the, on the outside, they, they were completely free on the inside. Okay. And so we start with being a living sacrifice, with I want to be free, truly free, truly surrendered to the reality of the world as it is right now. And it's very difficult because it is an ugly world, as well as it's a beautiful world. It's both. But some of us are whistling past the graveyard right now. We, oh, look, you know, I, I, you know people are posting stuff. And there's nothing to do with anything that's happening in our world right now. And, and that's fine. You know, it's, it's part of our, our, you know, our practice is sometimes to, we need a break from stuff, right? But the more we work towards, I can hold all of this, and I can surrender and I can finally make peace with what is. Uh, then we can begin the next phase, which is the transformational phase. Which, this is all part of the transformational phase, but it's the first part. And then we get to the actual work of, of moving forward. Um, and that's um, the part about being transformed. So when Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, what is he implying? That we are conformed to this world. We're already that way. That's the reason why he has to say this, that we're conformed to worldly thinking. So let me just say a little bit about this, this in light of, uh, of racism, in light of all the uh, reactions that we are having. Uh, the first thing I want to say is we need enemies. This is one of the uh, well-known realities of, of, uh, of, of our human psyche. And this is known by many leaders uh, throughout the, the, the centuries, is um, you have to create an enemy for people. It's, it's part of the work of leadership, bad leadership. And so um, you create an enemy. Why? Well, enemies give people a sense of, rightness. I'm right. They're wrong. That gives me a sense of feeling secure. We also need a sense of safety, who the enemy is. Right? It's not clear. We're not really, we start to become almost um, um, 
psychically uh, unstable, when we don't know, when we're sure there's an enemy, but we don't know who that enemy is. And so to have it clearly physically there gives uh, the, the, the mind a little bit more focus. But it's a false sense of security and safety. Right? So the sense of rightness, the sense of safety, and then also tribal loyalty. We need enemies for that reason. And so just know that about yourself. Know that about humanity. This is the reason why we need enemies like Republicans or liberals, or we need an enemy like the president or the media. There's plenty of wrong in, in all of those. But to actually see that as the enemy, again, is that's on the outside of me. We also need monsters. We all have uh, had them since we were children, the ones that live under our beds, in the closet, in the basement, right? These monsters are a projection of what's inside us. We have this anger or fear living within us and we need it externalized. So when we experience pain, we need to create a monster so that that way we can be protected. We know anything that looks like this, I can move away from. I remember, um, many, probably now, maybe a decade ago, I was reflecting on all the bosses I had had. And although they were very different from each other, that none of them knew each other, um, there was something that linked all of them. They were all um, critical types, very, very critical, like always criticizing uh, my work, um, criticizing the work of other employees. <clears throat> and I found myself seeking to please them. <clears throat> and when that didn't work, I would um, begin working against them um, and become, you know, the rebel. And uh, this was remarkable to me because I had this epiphany, like, oh, this is what I've always done. This is what I was doing when I was a kid, right? because I'd experienced a lot of criticism. And so I sought out and began to seek out that monster uh, in one way to sort of please it and see if I could resolve it. In another way, <clears throat> to fight against it, right? And, um, and that monster gets imposed. It becomes the shadow. It's never the person. The person's much smaller than the, than the shadow. The shadow of this monster that's behind this person, to my mind, was that's the much larger thing that we tend to put on all other people. And this is where um, we are when it comes to issues of race. It's not that we're intentional about it, like we're intentionally trying to do something wrong as, you know, as white people, but it's what we've been biased towards. It's what has been told to us over and over again, what we have seen. And so because of this, we have this sort of leaning, we have this bias. And it helps us because in many cases, again, people need something outside of them. Now, I thank God there's been a change and we're starting to, I can hear and see many, many people starting to say enough's enough. We are now going to uh, move towards uh, together in solidarity. This is enough's enough. And that's been wonderful to see. I think that's happening. Um, but what is necessary is for us to become aware, I think, more aware today than ever before, uh, that we need 
the transformation of our minds. We need to recognize that this is what happens inside us. This is what we're practicing, this sort of confirmation bias, seeking uh, to be right, um, seeking to be safe, um, trying to be approved by people, by the group that we're part of, trying to fit into the group that we're part of. And we need the transformation of our minds. We need to be able to see differently and to understand uh, differently. So then we can test and approve what God's will is. I don't think we can know the truth until we've gone through the transformation. This transformation precedes understanding. It always does. We want to understand, but we cannot see and we cannot understand until we have been transformed. So this is where I think it takes us to action. We can either keep seeking what confirms our beliefs. So we look for sources, right? We repost whatever confirms our beliefs. We uh, continue to live in our insular lives, which is really very little contact with people who think differently than we do. Or we pursue by actually loving our neighbor, as Christ commanded us, by sitting with people who think differently. To really seek to understand, not to have our beliefs confirmed, but to understand, to assume that they might be right about something. I think of the parable in closing, the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's this man who gets uh, jumped by thieves, he's beaten, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. Jesus tells a story. He says that a priest goes by and walks deliberately around to avoid being near this man. And then a Levite walks by and does the same thing. And then finally, it's the Samaritan, the one that was really disliked by everyone Jesus was speaking to. And a Samaritan is the one who actually does the one thing that was right. So religious people that oftentimes get it wrong. Because we've moved away from our hearts of empathy and of compassion. And this man demonstrates empathy and compassion. It wasn't about being right. The priest would have argued and would have argued correctly that they were right in the way they responded based on the law. So would the, so would the Levite. And there are lots of justifications, lots of justifications bouncing around today, all over Facebook, all over Instagram, all over, all over Twitter. But the one right thing that we, people who are trying to work to transform ourselves and the world, the one right thing that we are called to do is to move towards empathy and compassion. And that could change the way we see things. It will change the way we see things. It's impossible for us to have the same worldly mindset as Paul would argue when we move towards compassion and empathy. But it's the right path. And the one thing I want to ask over and over again with people who are justifying and 
trying to post something that's just, I want to ask, do you, do you, have you, have you cried over this yet? Have you cried over the loss of another black man? Have you, have you shed tears or has that not moved you? That hasn't moved you. And maybe it's time to ask yourself that question. Why? I've had to ask myself many times, why am I not moved by this? Why not? Why am I not touched by the, the suffering of another person? Well, it's because this person did crime and that's the reason. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Am I, am I touched by the loss of a human life or am I not touched by that? Like, that's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Christ. So what we're being asked to walk into today. Can we move towards the heart of compassion? Because when we do, and we start with that, then it has the power to transform our minds. As we begin to weep, as we begin to listen carefully, then we start to understand. And many of us want to be transformed. We want to grow, right? We want to seek to grow. This is an opportunity for us to grow. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Surrender. Surrender to God. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because when you do, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Holy, acceptable, perfect, pleasing will of God. Deep breath. <clears throat> I would love to hear your thoughts because um, I, we need to do this as a community. We need to talk about this. And, um, and get some thoughts. So one of the things I want you to know or want, would like you to do is to recognize that even now in the chat, there might be things, there might be things that trouble or unsettle you. And so just be aware so that you don't just have a reaction, but you, okay, this is part of the process. It's part of the process, right? Listening to others, hearing others, so that in the process of doing so, we transform as a community. We've been talking about this, Jim and I have been talking about this, like, how do we do this thing of social change, not just individual change, but social change, right? Part of it is this big thing of listening and, and hearing from each other. So your thoughts on this, and maybe we can. Yeah, let me uh, go ahead and just piggyback off of that right there, because there's a couple things I feel like are are kind of important right in that moment. Um, I love the distinction that Paul makes here. I think it's super helpful because one option is to be conformed, and we always we always project like that. The, now there over there, that's the pattern I don't want to be conformed to. And so I'm going to resist that one by kind of joining over in this group that is against that group that's conforming. And a lot of times it's just a switching of enemies. It's just a switching of um, uh, who 
you know, whatever culture you're in. So, you know, I grew up in the eighties and there was like all this worrying about like this culture that is of the world. And so we're going to create our own Christian subculture that is against the one of the world. And it was just against, and I think we really have to question anything that is just moving from being against one thing to being against another. You don't see transformation by being against what Paul does brilliant here. His, it's not like conform to this or you're resisting it and going against it here. He goes from conform to transform to being renewed. And all of a sudden that opens the table to all these different options. It, it puts a different challenge to us because a lot of times when stuff happens, I don't know how to respond. And if you're in a situation where you just feel like overwhelmed by everything you see, I mean, from the pandemic to uh, what happened this week to what's happening around the nation right now, um, and you just feel kind of like overwhelmed by it, like, first of all, can you have a, a ton of grace for yourself that uh, it's hard to know what to do in situations like this? It's hard to know how to not just jump to like jump on a side or be against this or take this kind of action or post this kind of thing. Like it, it really is hard because to be transformed, to be renewed, it allows for nuance. It allows for complexity. It allows for self grace when you don't know what to do and you need to sit with that feeling and you need to pray, you need to go before God and say, what, what is it like for me to offer as a, as a living sacrifice? To be a living sac, the problem with a living sacrifice is it constantly is jumping off the altar, and it's this decision to constantly put it back on and being willing to say, "Okay, what now, Lord? How can I be transformed? How can I not just be against the right thing, but be with?" Because that's what we see in in Christ. As I, I was talking about at the beginning, Emmanuel is God with us. He doesn't. He doesn't just come and be against the wrong things, but he comes and becomes with. Richard Rohr says, God loves things by becoming them. Mm. God loves humanity by becoming one of them, by being with them. And so often uh, we forget that there's, that it's not who, be, it's not about being against the right thing but it's about being with God and with God and his mission. And that is not going to look like against, it's not going to be like conforming. It's not like going from one uh, being one part of culture to another part of culture. It's always going to be this transformed and renewed so that we see differently and we actually can know what to do differently. So we aren't in that paralyzed place. <sighs> okay. I had to get off my chest. That's good. Thank you. Abby asked a great question. Can you say more on the ways to be transformed by the renewing of our minds? Any um, really practical ideas? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that uh, it's similar to what I was saying, but maybe in a more concrete way, is that we have our thoughts and our thoughts need to be tested. Our thoughts need to be challenged in order to understand whether we see clearly or don't, or, or, or we don't, right? Because we have a framework, we have a belief system. It's natural. Our minds look to see. It seeks to order the way we experience the world into ways that that are that create meaning. Our minds are meaning machines. It needs to understand and make sense of things. And so, if we don't actively work against that, like not against our like, I'm going to prove myself wrong, but like 
actively against our bias, which is to hold on to those things and to find security in those things. So the ways we do that, I think, is by actually having conversations with people who think differently than we do and to see if we can get in their skin a little bit, to live in their lives. I love that uh, quote that Jim just uh, pointed out with Richard Rohr. God loves um, by becoming um, you know, that thing that he loves. And I think that that's, um, that's, that's one of the best things. And as I've done that as a coach, I have found myself accidentally stumbling on that. It wasn't by any way uh, my intelligence or my smarts. I, I stumbled and, into, and, and I found to like, wow, in my role as a coach, I'm having to listen and I'm having to get into the skin of a person. And when they say things that I think, oh, I disagree with that. I can't just go, oh, I disagree with that. I have to like, you know, get into the skin of that person. And when I have, I found, oh, that's how they, now I understand. And it has shifted the way I see. Um, many times it has shifted the way I see. I think that's a big part of it um, is listening purposefully and not seeking. People do this all the time. They say, oh, I read from both sides, the right and the left. I've just taken this position. Like, no, 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 that's not enough. <laughs> because most of us are reading the other side as a way to prove why we're right. <laughs> it's like it's like ammo, you know? That's why I do that. I mean, come on, let's be real here. We're not actually reading it to seek to understand. We're reading it as proof of why they're idiots and we're smart and we're right and they're wrong. That's the reason why we're reading it that way. Are you with me? I see a lot of head nodding. I mean, I want to say this, like, come on, folks. Let's be truthful about who we are. Like, I'm saying this myself. That's what I do. This is what Joel does. And so I know that. I have to work against that. I have to be compassionate with myself and say, oh, there I go again doing it. And what I need to do is to really seek to understand, meaning like, I'm going to seek that. I'm going to pretend you're right. I'm going to pretend you're you're speaking the truth for a moment so that I can see it from your perspective. And then I come back to myself and then I bounce it against what I think. Hi guys. Um, Joel, thank you for that. I, 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 that really went deep for me and I appreciate it. Um, I being one of those people who can nod their head when you say, have you cried over this? Being, being one of, you know, when, when I was alone, that being my first reaction, um, I, I know that I have always connected very deeply on a heart level with some of these things. What I am challenged by is the call to action because I don't want to be reckless and I don't want to act out on strong negative emotion or for me that that head heart loop of I'm having strong negative emotions and then I'm thinking and rationalizing and then it loops back around. And I'm wondering if you can provide some um, anything advice or what what the bible would say or what any wise one would say around for those of us who feel very deeply how do we take those steps to then have a call to action that is meaningful and is god-centered good question 
this is what I'm wrestling with myself, my friend. I, I'm not sure because it's, um, you know, the actions that I think can be taken are anything from, I think in terms of like, oh, we need to do something that's significant. But I don't know that it has to be big or significant. I think it needs to be that we do things, <clears throat> anything. Like I, I appreciate the posts that are going on right now that are saying, um, and I'm seeing this, by the way, from people I never expected to see this from, who are saying enough's enough enough's enough and they're speaking up and they're saying i'm standing in solidarity with um with uh my brothers and sisters who are people of color I i'm tired of this i'm standing with them and are refusing to get into the debates that everybody else gets into and are seeking to do do something uh to bring about change and i i don't have any particular like here's the big thing that's going to create change but I think I, I did reach out to somebody that I know who's a friend of mine, who's a person of color. And I just said, hey, thinking about you and praying for you. And if you want to go for a walk at some point, let's go for a walk and talk. Um, and, um, you know, and, and just just being available. Um, I think it's we have to be careful not to go, hey, uh, how's your experience in this? Because many people of color are just tired. They're exhausted. I mean, they've told me this. Like, please don't set me up for any more of these conversations. Like, I, I can't do it. I'm exhausted. I'm tired of dealing with this. This has been my life ever since I was a kid. And, um, and sometimes I just want to get away from it all, you know? So it's, um, it's being aware of that as well. Uh, but things like that, I think, are, are appropriate responses. I would take suggestions from anybody else who thinks, you know, here's a way we can move from the head-heart loop into, you know, into, into action around this. Um, because it's a great question. We want to know what to do. But the problem is so much of our responses have been reactionary that there's a certain point we actually have to slow down and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond to this. And sometimes that's actually a really good response is to actually admit that instead of assuming we know what to do, that we actually... Um, say, I don't understand. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I feel like, you know, when the person says, uh, you know, comes to Jesus and says, I believe, can you help me in my unbelief? I feel like, Lord, I don't know what to do. Can you help me in my not knowing? Um, can I actually come from the humble place so that I can actually start to look for um, a, a Jesus answer instead of just a reactionary answer? Go ahead, Jen. <laughs> Well, I don't want to, um, you know, come at it from the exact opposite angle, but, <laughs> but um, Welcome it. I, I also think <laughs> that for some of us, it does feel so immobilizing and um, it's almost like, I just feel like it's so important to start somewhere and I would rather stumble through this and try and possibly get it wrong than not for me, and this is for me, I'm not saying this is true for everyone, but I'd rather put it out there and try than not have these conversations, than not, um, and take that risk. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think there's something for some of us, not everyone, but those of us um, who maybe aren't, don't tend to be quite as action oriented. Um, and actually I, I, I can be personally, like I, I can, I, I identify Liz with what you're saying. Like I can be a real bleeding heart sometimes and 
just had a scripture that talks about like love covers a multitude of sins. Like I really think if our true motivation is love, then we might get it wrong, but I'd rather risk getting it wrong than not try it all, you know? Liz. Hi. <laughs> maybe, maybe this will be the Jen and Liz debate. <laughs> Jen, I really appreciate, um, I really appreciate your words. I think what I would put out there is, I think for me, sometimes the, um, the action to do something is a reaction to feeling the pain of the situation. And by acting, uh, it, it's going to dissipate or assuage my pain. And so I have had times in the past where I have acted too quickly to, to, if I'm being very honest, to make myself feel better. And it was in a way that was not as sensitive as it could have been for the person who was receiving it. And I feel like particularly if you are speaking to a group um, that's traditionally um, has been marginalized, like white people talking to people of color, or I have definitely experienced straight people speaking to me as a queer person. Um, you have to be really careful that it's not your own opinion that it, or your own need to feel better that is then going to step on toes. But there's also some balance in the middle between that and then just never doing anything. Mm, it's really good. It's really good, Liz. That's that's uh, excellent. I mean, I, I think that's that's such wisdom there for us as people who, um, I, I totally resonate with that. Like that feeling of discomfort and wanting to get that, get rid of that. So then it's like, okay, let's, let's just jump into action and do something. And then I do something and it's like, oh, that didn't land right. <laughs> Why didn't it land right? Because I wasn't thinking about them as much as I was thinking about my own painting, you know, doing something uh, as a response to that. So thank you. That's really, really good wisdom. Go ahead, Cheryl. Okay. Um, yeah, I just wanted to share a perspective. I absolutely agree with Liz. She kind of covered a couple of the points that I was going that I was going to in the sense that I have a son who's uh, who's his dad is African American. And so when I was talking to him, when I was talking to him the other day, I didn't really, he's, he's very sensitive about the fact that his father was African-American because he was not raised with his father. So he was raised in a primarily white, um, Caucasian upbringing. So he was not in Arizona. So it was mostly Hispanic. So he got away with that cross-cultural. It was not, everybody thought he was Hispanic. So he really got away with a lot with the, the lack of questions, nobody, he was not, he's part of a majority, no matter which way he looked. Um, so he, there was not a lot of questions for him um, that I know of. He never brought them to my attention, but I know that in the community that he lives in now, there's, he is a minority. And so he's very, he's much more sensitive today than he has been in the past, um, especially about his father. I know I had a conversation with him not so very long ago that was, it, I didn't realize he was as sensitive as he was. And um, so I really had to take, kind of take a step back. So when I talked, when I was going to mention it to him the other day, just to see how he was doing with that, because I, I, I'm not, I haven't had an emotional reaction that I know of directly correlated to this incident. 
Um, so I'm Joel's question of like, have I reacted emotionally? Have I had that? Like, has it wrenched, pulled at my heartstrings at all? I don't really know. I have to kind of look at the timeline cause I don't watch the news. Um, and I kind of just go with like, what, what does the universe tell me? Um, because I can't watch the news. I'd be crying every day when I watch the news. It's so full of negativity and that's just me, but that's for me, for me. Um, and, um, so when I, when I had that conversation with him the other day, I was kind of like, how are you doing? And he was in a really good mood. So again, it's that like, where is that person at? Is it for, is it, is it making sure that I'm okay, that he's okay? Or is it making, really making sure that he's okay? Because if he's sound, if he, I'm not going to bring him back to a place that he was at at the day of the event. That's kind of my mom's perspective. It's my mom's duty, my mom's job to get him through those immediate moments. And, and so like I was, he didn't want to talk about it, obviously, but um, I did kind of mention it and he was brushed right over it. But yeah, Liz kind of covered what I was going to say. So about that. Just wrap up um, our time That's so it. we can get to um, worship um, uh, by saying that I think uh, for all of us, it's remembering that um, that there's a, a step that we can take and for us not to, not to overly do the, like, um, yes, I do need to be aware of my motivations. Right. But even when I've made the mistake of like trying to move towards someone in love and recognizing, Oh, that was a little bit more of like trying to deal with my own discomfort or pain that, um, for the most part, it is received with, um, with gratitude because, um, there is nothing more powerful and nothing more important than us moving towards people and towards uh, the community of, of people of color um, and, and uh, particularly these days and to do so in love um, and uh, to be sensitive, to be aware of when we're too pushing too much and to pull back, but to be confident that if we move forward for and support in trying to understand, trying to love, that generally that's going to be met with favor. And I think of this of that parable of the Good Samaritan. We have all sorts of reasons to wonder, am I doing it for the right reason? Am I doing it for the wrong reason? Um, should I not do it? Should I do it? And I think that the message there is like, just move forward. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to make lots of mistakes. Be okay with that. Be compassionate to yourself, but just do something and do something to say enough's enough. We are coming around our people of color and we're going to love and we're going to support and we're going to be with them, not against them, with them. And I think that's sort of the end, uh, the message that uh, for us to hopefully remember and put into practice this morning, this week, in the months to come, in the years to come.